Brick Moon Fiction presents Meatless Fridays by Eric Del Carlo, narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. On Fridays, the brain butchers came. Saturdays, there'd be a little ritual around the meat disposal, sometimes not even that. They say on the off-grid, if you can't lay it or eat it, set it on fire. And so every Saturday was full of burned meat smell and black woolly smoke. I was running out of Fridays. I'd have to make up my mind, and goddamn soon, that was how the old meats put it to me, the ones who knew my name, the ones who maybe gave a shit what happened to me. They stood out from all the other old meats on the off-grid, the bitter and broken ones, or the ones still crazy with the zeal of not having gotten themselves unmeated. They didn't know or care who I was, just another dirty jackrabbit kid, 14 going on eternity, scrounging through the days, wild-facing through the nights at whatever shrill was going on, living it at hot voltage, tox city, starting fires when whatever you met wasn't food or sex, veins full of adrenaline thump, eyes dripping tox, frenzying it up amidst a hundred other slick, smooth young bodies. At the shrill, there'd be a bonfire, or just what somebody had lit up that hadn't wanted to be boned or chewed on, and everybody would dance around it. The music pounded, apocalypse so now it had already happened. And yet I knew that the warnings were true. I had a finite number of Fridays left. Like everybody, I'd been tested at birth. A prick, a genetic dewdrop for the tweakometer, and the results. My final possible date to go meatless had been engraved on my flesh. I needed only look down. It was there just above my navel. The brain butchers came around on Fridays. If your window was open, you only had to step forward. A person had a six-month-long opportunity to choose meatlessness for her or himself. I'd used up almost all of my time. A couple more Fridays and it would be too late for my brain to accept what needed to be done to it in order to migrate it into a tin body. If I waited too long, the procedure would only kill me. Actually, it wouldn't even get the chance to do that, since the brain butchers would read my date above my belly button and simply tell me to step back. I would then be on the off-grid permanently. I would, from that moment ever on, be old meat. And soon enough, I'd start to look like it. Those creaky creatures, faces full of fear shunning everything they used to do that had some juice in it. No more shrilling, no more running through the ruins, no more setting the streets ablaze. You might still tox, but you'd be taking numbing narcs, deadeners, to cradle your pathetic, shattered psyche. Or not. Maybe not. Some old meats still seemed to have a little spirit in them. I knew a few who acted alive, and some of them knew me. They rarely advised me one way or the other, whether to get unmeated or stay meat, but they all reminded me of the time which was expiring. It would be so easy just to let the clock run out. I had been living on the timeless time of the off-grid, the holy high. I had seen others blur carelessly past their last Fridays. Blinking out of a tox stupor the following Saturday, the meat smoke stinging their eyes, causing the tears. Or were those tears of fright? The realization finally hitting dead home? Too late for a tin body, too late to go to the grid. This was a Thursday. Tonight I wandered away from the hot spots. I picked past crumbling walls and found a room with some roof still on top of it. I curled in a corner and put my head down. My system wasn't used to going without tox, without the fury of a night of shrilling and boning and boiling your marrow. I shivered. Then I started to seriously shake. I thought I was going into real convulsions, but somehow in the middle of it all I flickered into unconsciousness. I stayed that way until dawn bled, until it was Friday. It had a feel of pageantry. It always did. People came to watch the brain butchers, 
some following the hulking forms from the moment they crossed through the glowing scarlet barrier from the grid. Kids way younger than me gawped, probably thinking the tin bodies were magical. I remembered the fantastical tales we told in our little tribal squalors when I was a youngling. The off-grid had been like a dangerous, enchanted wonderland back then, and we tried to make sense of it by way of crude mythology. It was only when we grew older and hormonalized that we understood we were meat, and how much fun meat could be. The brain butchers weren't meat. They advanced through the broken latticework of streets, looming over all onlookers. Today I was among them, jostling for a view, gazing at the gleaming, powerful forms. The tin bodies moved deliberately, but there seemed a certain elegance to their movements, if you watched closely enough. A little nuance to their emotions, a subtle expression of personality somehow conveyed through those impenetrable suits of mega armor. Or maybe I was seeing what I was trying to make myself see. The tin bodies weren't soulless shells, weren't impassive hunks into which human brains were inserted, there to reside forever. I could tell myself that, but it didn't make it true. Someone stepped out of the crowd, into the path of the two brain butchers. They halted, massive metal feet crunching the ancient asphalt. The kid in front of them had long, dirty hair down over his eyes. I was near enough to see his lip quivering. He shucked up his rag of a shirt, bearing his navel and the stamped date on the concavity of his belly. The onlookers went silent. Old meats were on either side of me. They seemed tense with horror or yearning or both. I watched along with them as one of the brain butchers bent down and extended a huge mechanized hand. The kid was wide-eyed as the fingers locked around his neck like a collar. The second brain butcher beamed a sterile field over the kid's skull, the glow a soft blue. The kid's eyelids twitched and he made a strange, gurgling sound. Then he was out, his last moment of meat consciousness now passed. After that, it was just a matter of sawing open the top of his head and scooping out his brain, which was placed in a stasis canister. The brain butcher released the throat, and the boy's meat ragdolled onto the pavement. The two tin bodies stepped over it, resuming their circuit through the off-grid. If somebody was moved to do so, they would collect the dead meat and tomorrow say something about the kid's life, or maybe just recite old myth words, then burn him up. Nobody was going to eat it or bone it, so it needed to be ash. He no longer belonged to the off-grid. He had a tin body waiting for him when the brain butchers went back through the scarlet barrier. I didn't follow them any farther or stay around to see what happened to the dead meat. The day was too bright, as if the air had crystallized around me to the point where every edge and angle was painful on my eyeballs. I stumbled away. I needed to get myself toxed, something that would rip out my guts and send me chaosing through the shrills that would pop up as the night approached. Time to lose myself in meat, to throw in among others who hadn't yet seen their last Friday. Eyes closed, still staggering away. I saw the kid's brain come out of the hollow of his skull, glistening and preserved. It could have been mine. I had needed only to step forward, show my engraved date, and that would have been my dead meat back there, all memory and humanity vacated from it. I started to shiver again, like last night. A hand fell on my bony shoulder. I jumped and spun, but my movements were off and I went down on a knee. Bad mistake. Off-grid had more than shrills and boning going on. There was violence. Somebody wants your food, what's in your pockets? You had to defend yourself. I looked up at the old meat who had come up behind me. 
She was definitely old meat, face deeply lined, hair a blaze of white. He gazed down on me with a strange expression, maybe with a glimmer of sympathy in his crow's-footed eyes, like one of the old meats who knew me by name. Except I didn't recognize him, but he apparently knew me. No, he said. What you want? I levered up onto my feet, ready to throw a punch. Who are you? A grim smile moved his mouth. I... He looked around. Let's talk somewhere private. Come, I can give you a decent meal at least. Then hopefully I can explain to you why you need to get unmeated. The meal sounded good. It might also be a trick. I repeated, Who are you? Again the smile. A little less rigid this time. He said, My name is Hand. I am an ancestor of yours. And I have been waiting for your arrival, so to speak. Please, come with me. I noticed suddenly other old meats standing at a distance in a ring, watching us. I looked around for bolt holes. There were none. Okay, Hand, I said. Give me a meal then. He started walking, and I fell in behind him. He had a place underground. Old meats liked holes, I knew. Cellars, the ancient subways. But Hand had a fortress below the surface with tiers of space and walls of fancy stone which he said were marble. Salvaged furnishings decorated the site. There was gear every place. Actual mechanical and electronic gizmos. Old meats who were much younger than him guarded everything. I'd never seen anything like it. He said, People used to live like this, Noel. Not underground so much, but in comfort. Sit. Be at your ease. You'll have your food. He gestured, and an old meat began preparing something at what was evidently a functional appliance. The place had lighting. Power. There were a few other areas off-grid that had the spark. I sat in a chair, at a table. Hand lowered himself into a seat on the other side. He moved well, but his age still showed in every step, every flex of worn muscle. I eyed him, still wary. Ancestor, you said? What do you mean? He fit with these surroundings somehow. He gave off a quiet authority and... What was the word? Dig dignity. We belong to the same family tree. I'm quite a number of branches away, to say the least. But the family has been the subject of generational experimentation, and you are the end product. A new breed which will wear a tin body as no one ever has before. Ah... Here's your repast. A dish was put before me. Steam rose from the neat piles of food. The aromas hit me like good tox. I dug in, scooping up slivers of vegetable and beef. Everything was soaked in savory sauces, spiced in a way that set my mouth to aching with an agony of pleasure. My gut rumbled, unused to so much at once. Where did Hand get eats like this? How did he maintain this lair or whatever it was? For those moments, I didn't care. I ate and ate until I was dizzy, until the dish was empty. I licked my fingers. Hand watched me patiently. Finally, he said, You can have more, but later, perhaps. I need you alert enough to understand my words. It was a strange sort of lethargy that had settled on me. Something like a post-boning doze or a hard tox crash, but gentler than either of those. 
I blinked, sagged back in the chair, and waited for whatever my ancestor had to say. If he really was that. Who knew who belonged to what family? This was the off-grid, the max free-for-all. Children got born, and the tin-body testers always showed up to tweak the meatless date and mark the baby with its last possible Friday to go over to the grid. What do you think it's like inside the grid? I blinked at the old man's question, partly because he seemed to dig it right out of my head, but also because the answer was obvious. Don't gotta think. Go to the red barrier, look across. Tin bodies everywhere. Everything tidy. Nothing like the off-grid. Han nodded. And the off-grid you know. But perhaps you don't know this used to be a city, which was part of a nation, which in turn belonged to a world. But as humans are wont to do, we visited catastrophe on ourselves. And now all that is left is rubble here in the off-grid, and a certain sterile orderliness in the grid. Two states. The last two left, maybe. Anywhere. I shrugged. The food felt good in my stomach. I was a lot more used to being hollow-bellied, to toxin to grind off my appetite. Do you follow? Hand asked. You ain't leading yet. He gave his patient smile. Tell me, Noah, why have you put off making a decision for so long? You've only one Friday left to choose meatlessness. Maybe I decided to stay meat? But you haven't. You go to watch the, um, brain butchers each Friday. Lots watch. Something to do. Very well. I could see he didn't buy my shuck. Of course I was racked trying to decide. But I didn't want to give myself away. Can you tell me, then, why you resist the idea of meatlessness? Of having your brain, your intact being, taken to the grid and placed in a, uh, tin body? It was like asking how come water was wet. Because you'll never feel anything ever again. You'll be a brain in a metal suit. Can't touch anything, can't taste anything, can't bone. You're alive, but you're dead. But you will live a safe life in the grid. There's no violence there. The brain will continue to age and death will eventually come, but even that will be orderly, natural, sedate. Sure, I thought. That was the dilemma. Everybody around my age had those horns jammed in him or her. We also had the old meats to look at, the ones who regretted not going meatless, who now lived such awful, fear-soaked lives. Why is it like that? I suddenly asked, surprising myself. The grid. They only let you through the barrier as a brain. Why not regular bodies? It was a strange thing to ask anyone, but this weird old man just might have an answer. He said, They were the original survivors. The grid was their sanctuary from the catastrophe that destroyed this world. They had gone to extreme lengths to make themselves invulnerable. Brains in metal suits, as you put it. But they weren't the only survivors. Others had withstood the worldwide disaster somehow, and they lived in the ruins. And after a time they bred, surviving on scraps. Those inside the grid observed. And as they aged, unable to reproduce themselves, they saw the dwellers in the ruins as a potential source to repopulate their own numbers, to keep the grid going generation after generation, while maintaining the orderliness and indestructibility upon which their own society had been founded. Hand sighed. So the rituals were established, marking the babies, giving each person in the off-grid the chance to choose a life in the grid. 
I had never in my life heard it put so clearly. I'd had myths growing up. A few shreds of what I saw now were true history. Han's words banged right. I believed him, but I still didn't know what he wanted from me. I looked around again at all the equipment. What do you do here? What I have been doing for several of your lifetimes, Noel. I mentioned we belong to the same family. There is a certain amount of DNA we share. Ah, life materials. When I was a boy, I learned to read, and I found a functioning device that was stored with a great deal of scientific knowledge. I was able to construct crude computers by salvaging components that nobody else had any use for. I made this lab. I funded it, as it were, by cooking up some of the drugs used so readily throughout the off-grid. That put me in a position of power. So I drew my small army. He nodded at the guards and secured this place. And then I really got to work. On what? Curiosity burned through my lethargy. He smiled again, but there was a glint in his eyes this time. On breeding a special person. One who could truly interface with a tin body. Someone who, once his brain was migrated, would be able to feel with his metal suit. It wouldn't be the inert mechanized connection between mind and the artificial body. It would be like skin on him. He would have touch. He would have sensation. It would be a tin body, yes, but it would be a real body. Passion colored his face. There was spit in the corners of his aged, crinkled mouth. I wanted to tell him he was crazy. I wanted to laugh. But I couldn't. Instinct had kept me alive on the off-grid, and instinct told me he was talking truth. Suddenly I shoved back my chair. It fell over behind me. Hans' guards started toward me, but he waved them back. What the hell's this got to do with me? I yelled, voice echoing off the marble walls. He stood up, too, and though he did it smoothly, I could almost see the years pressing on him. He said, I started with my own genome. My own essence, let's say. I set out to discover how to alter my brain chemistry so it would interact with a tin body in a whole new way. But it was too late for me. I had stayed meat so that I could keep working. I had all this data, but it was specific to my DNA. Luckily, my mother gave birth to more children than just me, and they bred as well. I kept track of all the offspring. I devised formulas to modify cerebral chemistry, and I put it into the drug supply. Tox, I thought. Stunned. Crazy old meat jig the tox. It was a slow process, he went on. Science doesn't often give instant gratification, but I graphed the results. I took secret samples from the members of my very extended family. I did the same with you, Noel. Passed out after a shrill... Tox's body finally twitching to sleep. Yeah, if he knew where to find me, he could have gotten a sample. Was I supposed to feel violated or honored? You are ready, he said, leaning forward, knuckles on the table. The glint in his eyes sharpened into something brighter, maybe even dangerous. You possess the ability to inhabit a tin body as no one ever has before. You'll be the first of a new kind. But first, you must become meatless. I took a numb step back from the table. 
I understood. If this old meat wasn't actually crazy, I saw it all now. Except one thing. I've been eligible to get unmeated for almost six months. Why'd you wait till now to talk to me? Hand sniffed a laugh. For a second he looked ashamed. That's the scientist in me. Don't meddle with an experiment while it's in progress. Experiment? Yes, one that can change the world. Imagine that, Noel. You could change the world. And all I had to do was let the brain butchers have me next Friday. The final image ghosts me. Last thing my eyes saw. My meat eyes. The big mechanical hand around my neck. Cradling, though, not strangling. The huge tin body towering over me. Crowd watching. I feel exposed. And so goddamn scared. Then the sterile field settles onto my face, my head, like warm, wet cloth. Now... I have eyes again. I see. I'm in a room. Intact walls, clean surfaces. Not an off-grid hovel. I look around, because I find I can. I can swivel my head, just by willing it. Just like any tin body. Panic surges. I feel it in my limbs. The cool, rapid tingling. Goose flesh rises. Flesh? I look down at myself. I am a column of metal, gleaming, like any other tin body. The giant hands, which I flex now. I'm alone in this room. Outside will be the grid. I take a step. There's nothing awkward. There is some elegance to how those forms move. Shit, I was right! Another step. I lift my arm. I stretch out my fingers and I touch the wall. I feel the wall. It's smooth and a little cold. It makes me grin, though I don't know if my tin body face can accommodate anything like that. Maybe these suits will need some changing. Maybe the next kin of hand who comes over through the scarlet barrier will have learned something from the old man about how to redesign these tin bodies. The grin stays in place, whether it's really there or not as I open the room's one door and step out into my new world. Eric Del Carlo has been selling his fiction for over two decades. His short stories have appeared in Asimov's, Strange Horizons, and many, many other venues. His novels, both solo and collaborative, have been published by Ace Books, Dark Star Books, Loose Id, and other houses. His latest book, The Golden Gate is Empty, written with his father, Vic Del Carlo, is currently available from White Cat Publishing. Eric is a native Californian and a Hurricane Katrina refugee. Find him on Facebook for comments and questions. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.